Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, were too old to have children. But God did a miraculous thing. He sent the angel Gabriel to Zechariah to let him know that he and Elizabeth would have a child and that son was to be named John, and we know him today as John the Baptist. Uh, Gabriel proclaimed to Zechariah many things about John, what kind of person he would be and what kind of ministry he would have. But in essence, all of the proclamations that Gabriel gave to Zechariah about John were actually, in essence, proclamations about Jesus. Because John the Baptist was not only the promise of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but John the Baptist was the guarantee that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming and coming very soon, and that he would be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from Malachi and from Isaiah. And so Zechariah understood that uh, by the birth and life and ministry of John the Baptist, that the 400-year wait for the coming of the Messiah to the Jewish people was about to end. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. So we're going to be looking here at another proclamation of Jesus, this time, as I said, from Zechariah. And uh, interestingly, uh, chronologically in the New Testament, although we've already studied the proclamation from the wise, through the wise men, the proclamation through Joseph, this proclamation through Zechariah is actually chronologically in the New Testament the first proclamation about Jesus. This precedes any of the other proclamations about Jesus that we have in the New Testament. And uh, it comes to a man by the name of Zechariah. Now, uh, in the original Greek, his name is actually Zacharias, Zach with an A. And not, if, you look, if you want to look, we'll start with uh, Luke 1, verse 5. And it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And in well, all of your translations, it says Zechariah. But in the original Greek, his name is Zacharias, not Z-E-C-H. Z-A-C-H, and with an I-A-S at the end. As a matter of fact, if you look in the um, uh, King James Version, which is always the version I like to go to when there's some question about this kind of thing, uh, just to confirm it, in the King James Version, his name is Zacharias, with an A and an I-A-S at the end. So if you hear me today refer to him as Zacharias, it's still the same. Zachariah, I think what happened is Zachariah was the guy where he would answer to either name. Like if you called him Zachariah or Zacharias, he would still answer to that name. You know, it was like, okay, he knew you're, it started with a Z, it had to be me, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so let's look into what his story is here just for a minute. So in the time of Herod, this is Herod the Great, king of Judea, there was a priest by the name Zachariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them uh, were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So 
we learn here a couple of things about Zechariah that uh, are important. Uh, we learn that he was a priest. And uh, to be a priest in that day, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. You had to be descended from Aaron, who was Moses' brother, who was the first high priest whom God uh, appointed to lead the people. Uh, and through the tribe of Levi, if you were born a Levite, you were automatically considered in the, a priest. Uh, your tribe was the priestly tribe. So what we know about uh, Zechariah is that he was a priest. He was born a priest. He is of the tribe of Levi, and he is a Levite. What we find out also, interestingly, interestingly here, that Luke wants us to know, is that his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So as a priest, as a Levite, uh, you might marry a woman of any, many, any one of the many a different of the 12 tribes. You, who knows? You might fall in love with someone from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Gad, whatever. But if you hit the jackpot, as a Levite, if you hit the jackpot with a wife, you married a descendant of Aaron. So what better for a priest who was descended from Levi, uh, from, from Aaron as a Levite, to marry a, a woman who was also directly descended from Aaron? You, you were living in high cotton in that case. The same way with Joseph's Correct. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think this was uh, not the norm. I think this was a little bit unusual. But I think, you know, it makes sense, though, that when it comes to Jesus, that these things happen that way, but right? I understand that, that. I don't mean that everybody did that, but that the ones that had special, special things happened. Well, perhaps. I thought you were just talking about this, the general culture and society as a whole. Yeah, so... So what that tells us also is something that isn't hardly ever brought out in anything I've ever seen or read too much about uh, John the Baptist then, who because these, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth are the mother and father of John the Baptist. What that means then is that John the Baptist, who we all we say he was a prophet, he was a prophet, he was a prophet, he was also a priest. That John the Baptist was, through because that you became a Levite, their tribe of Levi, through your father. And so John, having been descended from uh, Zechariah, who was a priest from the tribe of Levi, uh, Levi, the Levites, that means John the Baptist also was born a priest. He became a prophet, which was his office, but he was born a priest. So he was both a priest and a prophet, which makes sense when you think about his role and how important it was in the birth of Christ. So we also learn here a couple of things about, uh, about Elizabeth and about Zechariah. Verse 6, both of them were upright in the sight of God. Now, the word upright there in the original Greek is, could be translated as just. They were just. They were upright. And the connotation means that they were uh, conformed to the will of God. They were obedient. They were righteous. They did the right things at the right time in the right way. It goes on to say then also that uh, they were observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now that was not an easy thing to do back in that day. There were a lot of rules and regulations to follow. And Luke says they followed all of the rules and regulations blamelessly. And the idea there is, the connotation in the way the Greek is put out, is that no one could find fault with them. No one could find fault with them. Uh, they, uh, their obedience was easily observable in the way they lived their lives. I wonder how many of us can say, <laughs> you know, if people looked at our lives and the way we live our lives, could they say, oh yeah, well, you know, they're Christians and they follow the Lord's, the Lord's way and the Lord's word and I can't find anything to blame them for. I can't find anything that's hypocritical about. They live lives of obedience before others. They are 
They were living witnesses for the Lord. We talk about being a witness for God. I pray pretty much every day that the Lord will make me a good witness to the world around me. And uh, because without his help, I won't be. I'll fail on that. But here were a husband and wife who were living witnesses for the Lord in the way they lived their lives. Not an easy thing to do for us, and certainly was not an easy thing for them to do either. So they were um, pretty special people, these two. So it goes on then in verse 7, it says, But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So um, the idea there of being well along in years, uh, the way it's written, the way Luke writes it, is that you know when you say well along in years, that's kind of relative, isn't it? I mean... A lot of us in here today don't think that we're necessarily all that well along in years, maybe. Um, I went to the doctor's office this week uh, to get my three-month checkup, and the nurse, you know, beforehand, she's doing all the background check and asking me all the questions, and she goes, uh, how's your hearing? I go, huh? <laughs> and then she, and she goes, uh, I said, dear, I said, I have old man hearing. I, oh, guys, I have old man hearing. I don't hear as good as I used to. But I still can hear, I can hear, although Jan says, I wish they'd asked me that question. <laughs> I wish they'd asked me that question, what kind of hearing you have. But being well along in years can be relative, depending on where you are. I mean, when I was in my 20s, I thought my grandparents were ancient. And then a few years ago, Jan and I went back to my hometown, and we do the McCollum memory tour when we do that. We go to all the places that meant something to me when I was growing up there, and that means we get to do all the cemetery visits. And so we go to the cemetery where my grandparents are buried, both of them, uh, both sides of my family, and I look, around, I look down at the markers and I realize that my grandfather was 60 when he died, my grandmother was 61 when she died. Yeah, so well along in years is relative, isn't it? I don't, right now I don't think 60 and 61 is all that old. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the way Luke writes this is he makes no just he makes it no doubt. He doesn't mean that they're middle aged. He means they were senior citizens in every term that you can say. These were these were old old folk. They were they were well along in years. And here they were well beyond the time of child their childbearing years. And uh in that culture of that day, uh, if you were a Jewish woman without a child, uh, people considered you cursed, really, by God. Uh, they figured you must have done something wrong in your life. God is punishing you in some way because you have not have it. He did not bless you with a child. Uh, it's the kind of thing where you know other wom- women who had children would look at you as you pass on the street and kind of cluck their tongues. Oh, poor Elizabeth. No children. You know, and and, and their minds have been thinking, what did she do? What did she do to deserve not having children? As a matter of fact, it was so serious that as a man in that culture, in that society of that day, if your wife had not had a child by the time her childbearing years were over, you could divorce her for that. Yeah. Yeah, you sure could. So, so they are, uh, they're heartbroken. I mean, you know, Elizabeth and, uh, and Zachariah, at this point in their lives, without a child, they're, they're heartbroken about it. I mean, some people who want to have, I mean, some people choose not to have children, but some people can't have children and, th- and want them. And those people who want them and can't have them, it's heartbreaking. Their hearts are broken because they can't. And that's the way that, uh, that I think Luke wants you to see what's happening here between these two. Was it particularly sons? Sons, yeah. They, they especially wanted sons. But any, any baby would do, but sons are the best. <laughs> Yes. Correct. And the and the Bible really reflects that because all through Old Testament, New Testament, whenever there's you know Hannah in the Old Testament, for example, uh, she is barren. She wasn't able to have children. Yeah. 
Exactly, all through the Bible. But it reflects the culture of the day. It was written by, it was written by men in that time, and that was. Yeah, it's true. It's exactly right. Exactly right. So in verse eight, it says, "Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, uh, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood." to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So uh, in one quick verse, Luke says something that when he wrote it, he just assumed everyone knew what that meant. And we read it today and go on to the next verse, which is the more important verse, which is verse 10. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worship were praying outside, and and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So we kind of go past this verse 9 because we get to verse 11 and we get the payoff, but verse 9 is significant. And uh, in in Luke's day, the people of that time would have understood what this meant to Zechariah to be chosen to be the incense burner. Uh, It was a significant thing. And so uh, William Barclay does a really good job in his commentary of kind of taking us into that day and what it was like. So I wanted to read this from his uh, commentary for you. It says, and he uses the old Zacharias. So he says Zachariah. Zacharias, the central character in this scene, was a priest. He belonged to the section of Abia. Every direct descendant of Aaron was automatically a priest. That meant for all ordinary purposes, there were far too many priests They were therefore divided into 24 sections. Only at Passover, at Pentecost, at the Feast of Tabernacles did priests serve. For the rest of the year, each course served two periods of one week each. Priests who loved their work looked forward to that week of service above all things. It was the highlight of their lives. There was as many as 20,000 priests altogether, and so there were not far short of a thousand in each section. Within the sections, all the duties were allocated by lot. Every morning and evening uh, sacrifice, every morning and evening sacrifice was made for the whole nation. A burnt offering of a male lamb, one year old, without spot or blemish was offered, together with a meat offering of flour and oil and a drink offering of wine. Before the morning sacrifice and after the evening sacrifice, incense was burned on the altar of incense, so that, as it were, the sacrifices might go up to God wrapped in an envelope of sweet-smelling incense. It was quite possible that many a priest would never have the privilege of burning incense all his life. But if the lot did fall on any priest, that day was the greatest day in all his life, the day he longed for and dreamed of. On this day, the lot fell on Zacharias, and he would be thrilled to the core of his being. The incense was burned uh, and the offering made in the inmost court of the temple, the court of priests. While the sacrifice was being made, the congregation thronged the next court, the court of the Israelites. It was the privilege of the priest at the evening sacrifice to come to the rail between the two courts after the incense had been burned in order to bless the people. The people marveled that Zacharias was so long delayed. When When he came, he could not speak and the people knew that he had seen a vision. So in a worldless days of joy, Zacharias finished his week's duty and went home. So it was significant. This was a dream come true for Zacharias, that he was uh, picked for this uh, time to go and to offer this incense. Of course, we know he was chosen by a lot, but we know God had something to do with that choice, right? But for Zachariah, oh my goodness, I get to go in. I get all his life, up to that point, all his life after that, you know, it was a dream, a goal. Uh, and usually once you, once you got to do that, your name was taken off the road. Once you got to go in and do that, then you were no longer eligible. But all up in that point, until that time, he was just so much wanting to be able to do this. And now his, his, his name is actually pulled out, and he gets to go in. My sister uh, lives in Atlanta. She owns a uh, a CBD store, and uh, she's a member of the Rotary. And uh, every month, the Rotary has a, a get together where they bring their people in, the, the owners of businesses. 
and they all put their uh, card in this uh, drawing, and they hold it until the end of the year. Uh, so in December, they have 12 months of business cards in this hopper thing, and they pull out one winner to win $250. Now, what are the chances, right? You're, you've been there 12 months, all these people for 12 months, and they pull a name out, and you're thinking, I hope it's me, I hope it's me, I hope it's me. And guess what? This couple weeks ago, they pulled the name out, my sister won. And then they gave her the bill to join again for 2024. <laughs> And I was like, she won two fifty, cost three fifty to join. So they, she just gave him the money right back, you know. So, but you know, and still she. So this is Zachariah is like, oh, what are the what are the chances? I mean, all these priests, all these are here. What's the chance? And he, and, oh, how thrilled he must have been. Well, I was just thinking before you went into the spiel about the rotary, which is interesting. <laughs> how often did they offer the incense? Was it just once a year? No, it was it was it was every day they did it. But but he was only there. Their their group was only there for about two weeks at at a time. And then so he wasn't there. They would they they rotated. So your group would go for a couple of weeks, and you would leave for the rest of the year and come back or what? He had a he had a minimal amount of, he had a minimal amount of time. Right, exactly. So okay, so here we go. So uh, so let's go on then. So. So the people, the time to bring incense came, and all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. That's what Barclay tells us. They're waiting for him to come out and bless him after he's finished doing this. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Can you imagine? You go in thinking, this is a good day. I get to do the incense. I'm so excited. And you walk in there, and um, you look up, and... uh, there is an angel standing beside the, and you're thinking, this doesn't seem normal to me. <laughs> and it's not because in verse 12 we say, we see, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And the idea in the Greek there, gripped with, gripped with fear, means, another way of saying it was that he was startled and fear possessed him. Fear possessed him. He was just gripped with fear. He was so afraid. Uh, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? We've now read this whole story about uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah from the very beginning where we have it here in Luke to now, and we now learn that your prayer has been answered, the angel said. What prayer? What's he been praying for? A child. A child. A, perhaps a son. Perhaps a son. Certainly a child. So, yeah, exactly. So, uh, apparently, they had been praying about this, as you say, Grady, for quite a while. For quite some times. Because it had been bothering them a lot. They'd been praying about it a lot because it was bothering them a lot. You know, have you ever noticed when something's bothering you, you pray about it a lot? Whatever's bothering you a lot, you pray about a lot. And so the fact that they were praying about a lot lets you know that they were, they were, they were heartbroken, that it was bothering them that they hadn't had a child. And so here they find out that, oh, the angel says, guess what? Your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been heard. He goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Oh, not only a child, but a son. And you are to give him the name John. So here we find out that uh, the prayer has been answered. It's going to be a son. You're going to have a son. And so that's the first thing that's exciting for Zechariah here. And now we're going to go into the proclamations about John the Baptist, which a lot of times we just let it sit there. What we need to understand and see is that the proclamations made to Zechariah about, about, about John the Baptist were actually proclaiming Jesus. So the proclamations that were made to Zechariah about John the Baptist were actually proclamations about the coming of the Messiah, about Jesus. So let's go on and see what those are. Uh, verse uh, 14. He, your son, we know now is John, Uh, the Baptist, he says his name will be John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Can you imagine 
having wanted to have a child all that time, in your old, old, old age, and there you're having not only a child, but a son, and a special son the angel's telling you about. Can you imagine the joy and the delight? Can you imagine? And Zechariah couldn't speak after he went out. Can, can you imagine Zechariah's situation? We're going to find out that uh, he kind of challenges the angel, and the angel says, well, you're not going to be able to speak then until the baby is born. Can you imagine when Zechariah goes back out and he tries to tell not only the whole congregation is out there waiting for him, but also uh, trying to tell Elizabeth uh, that he's seen an angel, they're going to have a son, and he's going to be a special son, and he's going to do all these things. And can you, like, I always thought it would be fun, like in a Sunday school class, which I won't do, but I think it would be fun, to like say to someone, can you kind of pretend you're John the Baptist and you can't speak, and how would you tell the rest of us you'd seen an angel? I mean, Zachariah, how would you tell the, the, the group there? How would you tell the rest of us? If you're like, you're Zachariah. And you, how would you, don't say anything, just, just act it out for us. That would be fun. I mean, but the gyrations, right? The gyrations that Zachariah has to go through to let people know what's going on. So anyway. Plus, he doesn't know. Is he never going to be able to speak again? I mean, well, have a son and never be able to speak. Well, let's go on and see what, what what the angel says here. He says, he will be a joy and delight to you. Okay, so that's 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 a given. And many will rejoice um, because of his birth. And that's true because, you know, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah were well-liked. They were well-respected. People liked them, their family, their friends, their neighbors. And so sure enough... Uh, when he was born, uh, many did rejoice because of his birth. That's That, I'm sure, it happened. Verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now you're talking. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. Um, that, that leads people to think that not only was uh, John the Baptist a prophet and a priest, but also what they call a Nazarite. There was a Nazarite oath that you would take. Samson, Samson was a Nazarite, exactly. And there were certain regulations uh, to the Nazarite vow if you took it. And one of the things is that you weren't allowed to drink wine or other fermented drinks. So this goes even more to show just the righteousness of John the Baptist, a priest, a prophet, and a Nazarite. So um, he would be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Now this is a real revelation. Because in the Old Testament, up until this time, the Holy Spirit didn't like live within you like he does now for us as Christians. The Holy Spirit would come and would, would visit someone for a temporary period of time for them to accomplish something. And then after that thing was accomplished, you know, the Holy Spirit would leave you. And so uh, this, and I don't know, if I, I can't remember offhand, but I can't remember if anybody in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit came to live with them, in them, from birth, like this in John the Baptist. So this is something that's a revelation to uh, Zechariah and something that was earth-shaking because he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. This is not something that was normally done. Chuck? Yeah, yeah. Depending on your translation, even in even in his mother's womb, which we're going to find that out here in a minute, because we're going to look at what happens when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. So yeah. So then, verse sixteen: Many of uh, the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. So, a couple of things here that we learn from this, just from, about the culture of the day, when he says here. Um, that uh, that there is going to be um, many that, that one of the things in verse 16 that John the Baptist is going to do is that he will bring many of the people of Israel he will bring them back to the Lord he will bring them back to the Lord which tells you what right exactly that in that day and age uh, the people of Israel uh, were um, not where they should be spiritually. Uh, when they have to bring, be brought back 
to the Lord, it means that people had strayed away from the Lord in that day. They had become a secular society. Uh, religion was kind of an afterthought. Uh, people had other priorities. Uh, they might go through the motions of religion, but that was just to check the box. So one of the things that John the Baptist was to do was to bring people back to the Lord. Did he do that? He did do that, didn't he? When he was out in the wilderness on the Jordan River, he was made people rethink their relationship with the Lord. He called them on it. You just, you, you're just going through the motions. You, you have to have a heart for God. So this is, he did accomplish this. This is something that actually did come true. And then it goes on to say, uh, too, that... Um, what else is the other thing there? He, uh, <coughs> he will be a joy to you, and he's ever take one, and um, he will be filled, and many of you he will bring back to the Lord. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. So we know John the Baptist is the New Testament Elijah. So in order to know something about John the Baptist in that regard, we have to know something about Elijah. And uh, what we know about Elijah is that he confronted both the religious leadership of the day and the political leadership of the day in his day. So back in his day, uh, he confronted King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel had led the people of Israel into idolatry. And they were worshiping pagan gods, uh, Baal and Molech and others. And so um, Elijah in his day stood up and called them out on that. And he also stood up and called out the priests of the pagan religion of the day, the, the Baal worshipers. And he had a showdown with them. And as a matter of fact, you go back to the Old Testament, you look at it, he had a showdown with them. There were 300 of them and one of him. And the showdown was that they were going to put this wood, uh, wood pile up and uh, they were going to see whose God would send down fire from heaven and, and, and you know, put the wood on fire and, and eat up all the wood with the fire from heaven. And the Baal priests did their thing for hours and hours and hours, and nothing happened, nothing happened, and nothing happened. And Elijah was just enjoying the show. And then Elijah said, okay, my turn. And Elijah not only did the wood, but he also said, put some, put some water on it. Put some more water on it. Put some more water on it. And eventually he prayed, and sure enough, fire from heaven came down and ate up the wood. And so here was Elijah who confronted Ahab and Jezebel, as the political leaders of the secular leaders, the political leaders of the uh, nation, and also the priests of that day, and confronted them. And so what do we know about John the Baptist then? I just wanted to also make a point. Yeah. Elijah was, was chased down, and all the priests were put to death with Elijah. Elijah the government, I mean, Jezebel or whoever. Uh, Ahab. Wanted to kill him, just like John the Baptist, they wanted to kill him. Uh, but the other thing is that Malachi, Malachi also predicted that uh, a, a, a new Elijah would appear. Right. I'm probably No, no, you're you're exactly right. That was that, that's going to be the next little thing we're going to look at here. There. So, uh, so two things we know is that he will bring the people back to the Lord, which means in that, that day they were spiritually had strayed spiritually. They needed to be brought back to the Lord, which John the Baptist did. We also know that as he goes forward. Uh, here, many of the people is there will bring back, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That John the Baptist is going to confront the religious leaders of the day. He's going to confront the political leaders of the day, which he did. If you remember, we looked at Herod Antipas and his wife Herodias, and how he confronted them because of their illicit affair and their marriage and all of that, and they ended up killing Elijah, uh, killing uh, uh, John the Baptist. Uh, but he stood up to them. So the same thing that Elijah did in his as a prophet, John the Baptist did also as a prophet eventually. And then we'll go on to look at the next one. It says, um, and he goes on, in the power of Elijah to turn, this is verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. 
So you're right. If you look back at Malachi, if you want to look back there, I just read it to you. In Malachi um, chapter 4, uh, and this is the last chapter of Malachi. Malachi is the last voice we hear before 400 years of silence uh, between the Old Testament and New Testament. And the very last words that Malachi is saying in chapter 4, verse 5, is, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the Lord comes. He, this person who's coming, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Where did we just hear that? What did the angel say? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So the last words of Malachi, the prophet, about the Messiah who will come are the first words that the angel says, among the first words that the angel says to Zechariah about John the Baptist. So there is no doubt then Zechariah as a priest knows Malachi, he knows this verse, he knows this prophecy, and what this is telling uh, Zechariah is by turning the hearts of the fathers to their children, this is the, going to be the fulfillment of Malachi's promise that the Messiah is coming, and that your son is going to be the New Testament Elijah for the coming of the Messiah. So what this is saying, as I mentioned a minute ago, what proclamations were made about John the Baptist for about John, uh, to Zechariah about John the Baptist were actually proclamations about Jesus, because what the angel is saying is John will be the Elijah that Malachi promised who would come before the coming of the Messiah, which means if that's true, what follows logically? The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming here soon. If my son is the Elijah of the Messiah that Malachi talked about, which is exactly what this reference refers to, then that means that in the lifetime of my son, Messiah is going to come. And so John the Baptist was not just the promise that the Messiah was coming. He's the guarantee that the Messiah is coming. He's not, he's, he's not just the promise of it. He's the guarantee of it. So at this point, Zechariah knows that uh, this was the fulfillment of prophecy about the Messiah. So uh, let's go on and then finish this off. Then it says... Uh, and the, uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he is going to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, for the pre prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. So Zechariah knows that, hey, the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Oh my, I'm excited because I'm going to have a son. I'm excited because he's going to serve not only am I excited because I'm going to have a son, but he's going to serve the Lord in an amazing way. He's going to be the Elijah of the Messiah, who's going to be coming any minute now, for all intents and purposes. So can you imagine how Zechariah must have felt? The joy, not just the joy, the joy of having his own child after all these years, but the joy that the Messiah has come. The, the angel's telling him two things. You're going to have a son, and the Messiah is going to, be coming soon, like within the lifetime of your son. Well, in the next verse, kind of leads you to believe Zacharias was worried about it too, because he's old. Yes. So let's go on. So uh, Zachariah asked the angel, "How can I be sure of this?" And this sounds just like some people in the Old Testament, right? Um, so just like Abraham did. Okay. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So actually, uh, the angel did tell him that this would only be a temporary thing, actually. Uh, that it would end uh, when uh, John is born. But until then, uh, you're, you're silent. And so 
Uh, he finishes what he's doing, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people are out waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Can you imagine this dance? I mean, it's a dance that Zechariah is trying to go through. I can't hear. I don't know. Angel, how do you, how do you say an angel appeared to me and I'm doing... I, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't speak, but uh, and yet somehow he managed, he managed to do it. Okay, so uh, so then it goes on. It says, um, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. Okay, now let's fast forward. Go down to uh, verse thirty-nine. So we fast forward, verse thirty-nine. At the time Mary got at, at the time, well, let's go. I said, go, go verse thirty-six. Even Elizabeth, this is the angel talking to Mary, Gabriel talking to Mary. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Now to skip down to verse thirty-nine. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. It's about a hundred miles away from Nazareth where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we talk about John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. Sure enough, uh, he leaps, and John leaps in Elizabeth's womb as soon as she hears Mary's greeting. Verse 42, in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what, uh, that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So here is confirmation for Zechariah now. Whether he overheard Elizabeth say what she said to Mary, or maybe Elizabeth told him later if, she, if he wasn't home at the time, somehow Zechariah gets the message, confirmation, that what the angel said about John is going to be true because here is Mary uh, coming and uh, Elizabeth is saying basically to Mary, you are the mother of the Messiah. And my baby has recognized that in the womb. And so it's confirmation for Zechariah that what he had been told about the Messiah coming and how John the Baptist was the guarantee of that going to happen very soon, that is confirmed by Elizabeth when she gets in the presence of Mary. Because she, Elizabeth recognizes through the Holy Spirit's guidance that this baby that Mary is carrying is the Messiah, is the Lord. And so Elizabeth goes to Zechariah and says, you know what the angel told you about John? And about that means that the Messiah is coming? Guess what? Mary's the mother of Messiah, and she's pregnant too. So it's confirmation for Zechariah that the promise that God had made about John the Baptist was the guarantee that the Messiah was going to be born very soon. So John and Jesus are 15 months apart? Uh, no, not 15 months, because uh, she was six months pregnant when Mary went, and Mary was pregnant already. So there's basically six months between them. Maybe not quite. Because she went to visit, Mary went to visit Elizabeth when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And, and Mary, went, Mary was already pregnant. Elizabeth was six months Elizabeth pregnant. Elizabeth was six months right. pregnant, yeah. And Mary had just stopped. Correct. Mary was pregnant so also. So maybe there was maybe nine, six months pregnant, maybe a few months or whatever. So they were born pretty close to one. Okay, last thing. Fast forward again one more time. Fast forward again to uh, verse, in chapter 1, verse 76. So in, in, in Luke uh, 1, verses uh, 46 through 55, basically, we have uh, Mary's song, which is called the Magnificat. If you, uh, there's a word, there's a description of called the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin. And then in verses 68 through uh, 79, we have what's called the Benedictus, which is Zachariah's song. And uh, so this is now happening after uh, John has been born, and Zechariah can now speak again. And um, 
here we get uh, the basically summation of everything that's happened with Zechariah and John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Jesus and Mary. So it says here, and we're going to start at verse 76, chapter 1. This is Zechariah speaking, and he's speaking to John. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. How did he know that? What did the, what did the uh, angel said? He, he will go and uh, he will uh, make a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah says, you will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Not just the salvation of being freed from Rome, but the salvation from forgiveness for their sins. He will be Messiah in every way. Verse 79, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. The rising sun, that's a description of Jesus. He will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, that sounds real familiar. Do you think that sounds a little bit familiar? Well, it does, actually. He says, uh, to, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, if you go back to, and I'll just read it to you because we're getting out of time here, but if you go back to Isaiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament, Isaiah says this, verse 2, Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What does John say? To shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. There's a clear reference to Isaiah 9. And, he, and Isaiah goes on to say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his, of his government and his peace, there will be no end. What does Zechariah say? To shine a light on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the path of peace. Isaiah said, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So Zechariah's proclamation clears a bell. John the Baptist was a special guy, but John the Baptist was just a promise. But not only the promise, John the Baptist was the guarantee that the Messiah was coming and that Messiah was Jesus because of all we know that happened after that. And uh, here's where Zechariah, all that happened to him, all that happened to Elizabeth, all that happened with John's birth, all that happened with Mary and Elizabeth, it boils down to this, that this is the most high, you're going to be his prophet, and uh, he's come to shine a light in the darkness, the shadow of death, and they got our feet to the path of peace, just like Isaiah just like Isaiah said would happen, that's what's happening. So, yeah, Chuck? Uh-oh. But they'll be fixed by tomorrow. So, Zacharias 68 to 75, that shows what Israel, why Israel rejected Christ. Because even Zacharias thought that he was going to be the same. So yeah. Then he goes on and shows what really happened. That we're right. still looking forward to that Savior coming to Messiah. The other thing, though, was when Zachariah uh, was, and when the angel told him about being you know, uh, like Elijah, and Elijah called out, and John the Baptist called out the political and the religious leaders for like appeasement. Germany, the churches that called out it might have been a whole different thing that happened. True enough. They didn't, they were silent. Appeasement was the on the hearts of Right. And it's on the hearts of a lot of churches today. And that's why John the Baptist did not compromise. When he says he will bring the people back to the Lord, that's what he means. No more appeasement, no more compromising. Do what's right. Be And, and he says... You know, Zachariah and Elizabeth did what was right, and John the Baptist did what was right, and they called people to do what was right. The last thing I'm going to say, this is the way I kind of, sum, sum, kind of summarize this whole thing about Zachariah and John the Baptist, and that is, 
that the proclamation that was given to, ja- to Zechariah was that a miracle child and a miraculous child are about to be born. A miracle child, John, and a miraculous child, Jesus, are about to be born. Get ready. Get ready, because things are going to start happening and changing very quickly. Yeah. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. That's why people think that he must have been in a scene. But where, I mean, if he was, if Elizabeth raised him, he would have been in that village that he did, but it says he lived in the wilderness. Yeah, it's an interesting theme in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, nothing good happens in the city. All the good stuff happens out in the wilderness, okay? Because out in the wilderness, you can really get close to God where you don't have all the distractions. You know, even the birth of Jesus didn't happen in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, which is kind of a, you know, a backwater. All the good things in the Bible are happening out in the wilderness, not, not in Sodom and Gomorrah, not in Jerusalem, but out in the wilderness, including going to see John the Baptist. So, all right, that's all I got. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.